Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, this morning, uh, we continue in our series, What Does the Bible Say? What Does the Bible Say? This series offers a close look at popular cliches, common cliches, that we as Christians toss around in conversation with friends and family and even with strangers. And our goal in these messages is to use Scripture, the Bible, God's Word, to determine if these cliches have any merit, any truth. And so last week, we began with the well-known cliche, everything happens for a reason. And through our conversation last time, we determined that that cliche, everything happens for a reason, is one that we should remove from our vocabulary. We should stop saying it because, number one, it ignores human freedom. It ignores the free will that God has given to us, that God has built into us. But number two, it gives the impression that everything that happens in this world including every bad thing, every evil thing, is orchestrated by God when that's not the case. Well, this morning, uh, we now come to another popular cliche. In fact, we might even say that this is the most quoted Bible verse that is nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> How do you like that? The most quoted Bible verse that is nowhere in the Bible. It's up here. Let's say it together. God helps those who help themselves. By show of hands, how many of you have heard this one? How many of you have said this one? Many of us have. Well, the current host of The Tonight Show on NBC is Jimmy Fallon. And I wish I could stay up late enough to watch it because I think he's really funny. Uh, but typically, I can't stay up that late. So Jimmy Fallon is, is the current host. Uh, and a while ago, right, Johnny Carson was the host. But before Jimmy Fallon and after Johnny Carson, who was the host of The Tonight Show? Jay Leno. I think for a short time, Conan O'Brien also hosted it, but primarily Jay Leno. Well, some of you might remember that there was a segment on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno called Jaywalking. Anybody remember this? What would happen is Jay Leno would walk up to random people in public places. In this case, he's at Universal Studios here in Orlando, and he would ask them questions uh, about topics ranging from politics to government, to history, to sports, to pop culture. And what made the segment so funny are the responses that people would give. For instance, one time he asked somebody where the Kentucky Derby was held. Y'all know where the Kentucky Derby is held, right? <laughs> this person said Kansas. <laughs> Another time he asked somebody what the three branches of government are. What are the three branches of government? You've got legislative, judicial, executive. That's not what this person said. They said, well, you know, you've got the Democrat Party, you've got the Republican Party, and you've got the independents. Another time, he asked somebody what it means to take the fifth. And the person said, it means to take the fifth day of the week off from work. <laughs> well, on one occasion, he asked people to name one of the Ten Commandments. Nowadays, people have strong opinions about the Ten Commandments and where the Ten Commandments need to be. But what's interesting is, 
a lot of folks can't name the Ten Commandments. And so he asked people, name one of the Ten Commandments. What did most people say? God helps those who help themselves. Which isn't even a commandment, is it? It's more of a suggestion, or more of a statement, I should say. But the people on The Tonight Show are not alone. Some years ago, the Barna Group, which is a Christian polling firm, conducted a survey, and they found out that 82% of people, this is not a small percentage, 82% of people believe that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. In fact, of these 82% of respondents, more than half were strongly convinced, not even somewhat convinced, or mostly convinced, strongly convinced that this is one of the major messages of Scripture. And so just to be clear, as we've already established, God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible, it's not in the Old Testament, it's not in the New Testament. Historians believe that this cliche originated 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece. And from there, uh, different philosophers picked it up, quoted it, but the cliche really became popular in this country when one of our founding fathers quoted it. Anybody know who? Ben Franklin and his book, Poor Richard's Almanac, God Helps Those Who Help Themselves. And so even though this cliche is not in Scripture, it's not in the Bible, folks, it is worth asking the question, is there any truth? Is there any biblical merit to this idea, this notion that God helps those who help themselves? And what I want to suggest today is yes, there is, in at least one sense. Hear me out. Uh, one of the practices my family and I do before we eat, and I know that many of you do this too, we pray. Uh, nothing fancy, we just bow our heads, and we thank God for the food that we're about to eat. Now, do the food that we're about to eat come from God? Absolutely. It did, in an ultimate sense. But it's not as if God just ripped open the heavens and dropped the food on our plate. We had to do our part, didn't we? We had to go to work, we had to earn money, we had to go to the grocery store, buy the groceries, bring the groceries home, turn the groceries into a meal. And so, yes, God provided the food, but God did so through certain channels, certain means that we had to take advantage of. Or let's say I wake up tomorrow morning. I hope this doesn't happen, but let's say I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm under the weather. I'm not feeling well. I'm sick. Well, I can pray for God to heal me, but God's healing also comes when we go to the doctor and we take medicine and we do the things that the doctor's telling us to do. Or let's say I'm a single person and I want to get married. I want to spend my life with somebody. Well, I can pray for God to send me that special person, but I also need to get out of my comfort zone, don't I? And pursue people that I may want to date. Or let's say I'm married, and my marriage is falling apart. Well, I can pray for God to heal and restore my marriage, but my spouse and I also need to go to counseling, and we need to do the things that the counselor is recommending that we do. Or let's say I'm unemployed and I need a job. Well, I can pray for God to give me a job, but I also need to put together a good resume, don't I? Maybe give my resume to some colleagues, some friends for their feedback, and to make the resume better, 
submit the resume, uh, go to interviews, convince the hiring person that I am qualified, that I am a suitable candidate for this job, this position. Do you see where I'm going with this? God is our provider in an ultimate sense, in a big sense. As it says in the New Testament book of James, every good and perfect gift is from above. Amen? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every blessing that we have in life, every blessing that we have in this world comes from God. But God is not a cosmic genie. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. We don't just say a quick prayer and God just makes it happen right like that. No, God calls us to do our part too. So we pray, but we also do what? We work. We pray, but we also work. And even our work is within the bounds of God's grace, isn't it? Because God has graciously given us the capacity to put forth effort. God has given you and me a brain. He has given us a body. He has given us a will for us to just sit back and do nothing. Sit idly by, expecting God to meet our every need. Well, first off, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. But not only that, it's sinful because it is ignoring the gifts and the capabilities that God has built into all of us as human beings. The Apostle Paul, uh, one of the writers of the New Testament, actually Paul uh, wrote almost half of the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Paul authored uh, 13 of them, 13 letters. Well, the Apostle Paul actually addressed this very topic in his ministry now, scholars believe uh, that Paul, over the course of his life, he went on three. How many? Three missionary journeys. Well, during Paul's second missionary journey, he would go on these journeys to spread the gospel, establish churches. Well, during his second missionary journey, Paul established a church in Thessalonica. Uh, we have this up here on the uh, screen. Uh, this is a map. Paul's second missionary journey. It took place from 49 to 52 A.D., about uh, 20 years or so after Jesus. So uh, Paul established a church in Thessalonica, which is a part of Greece. Well, while he was in Thessalonica, he taught the people in that community to trust Jesus, put your hope, put your faith in Jesus. He also taught them that Jesus was going to come back. This is what Jesus himself said, I'm coming back. He could even come back, he said, within your lifetime. Well, some of the people misunderstood Paul. And by the way, can you believe that some people misunderstand their pastor? It happens on occasion, not here, but in other places it does happen. People misunderstood Paul. They thought that since Jesus was coming back, well, you know what that means? I can quit my job. I can take it easy. I don't have to work. I don't have to be careful in my spending because God's going to meet my every need. Well, word of this behavior reached Pastor Paul. It took a little bit longer than it would today because they didn't have all the social media back then, but eventually it reached Paul, and he got upset. He had invested in these people. He had mentored these people. He had spent so much time with them. And so he addressed this topic in a letter that he wrote, uh, the second letter that he wrote uh, to this community. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 12. Paul says, even while we were with you, in other words, he's saying, don't you all remember this? Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear 
that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Isn't this what happens when we're bored, when we have nothing to do? We start meddling around in other people's business. He goes on to say, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Paul's words are just as relevant now in the year 2023 as they were 2,000 years ago when he wrote them. Our faith is not a passive faith. Our faith is an active faith. It is meant to stir us to action. I think a powerful example of all this in our own nation's history is the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement, of course, was a defining chapter in American history. And of course, a huge catalyst for change in this nation happened in the year 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, when a seamstress, what was her name? Rosa Parks, refused to give up her seat on a city bus to a white passenger. Now, so often, the narrative that we hear is, well, Rosa Parks didn't give up her seat because she was tired. She had had a long day at work. No. The truth is, the only thing Rosa Parks was tired of was legally sanctioned racism. And her courageous act sparked the beginning of the Montgomery bus boycott. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a young Baptist minister, he became a leader and an organizer of that boycott. Eventually, that boycott got the attention of the U.S. Supreme Court that ordered the city of Montgomery to integrate its bus system. Did God change things? Yes, God did. How did God do it? By waving a wand? No, God did it through human beings like Rosa Parks and Dr. King and others like them who courageously took action. So all this to say, there is a degree of scriptural truth to this idea that God helps those who help themselves. We are called to pray and we are called to work. The Latin phrase for this is ora et labora. Can you all say that with me? Ora et labora. Uh, labora, of course, is Latin for labor, work, effort. We pray, we work. Prayer and faith inspire action. Now, all this being said, this cliche also misses scriptural truth in at least two ways. It has a degree of truth, but it also misses scriptural truth in at least two ways. First, this cliche, God helps those who help themselves, causes us to forget God's concern for the poor and needy. Let's be honest. Typically, when we say this cliche, when we toss it out, we're referring to people who are financially struggling, who are barely, getting by, barely making ends meet. We assume that these people wouldn't have it so bad if they would just work a little bit harder, pull themselves up by their bootstraps to make their situation better. And listen, certainly every situation is unique. Every situation is different. And yet so often, those of us who have more financial means than others, we forget just how vicious and cruel the poverty cycle is. That there are times in which people 
everyday people, hardworking people, find themselves in a hole that they are powerless to get out of. I came to Asbury almost two and a half years ago uh, in January of 2021. I'm sure it feels longer than that for a lot of you, but <laughs> almost two and a half years ago in January of 21. But before I came to Asbury, I served for five and a half years as a pastor in southwest Orlando, about an hour from here. The congregation that I served uh, was located just a few miles away from Highway 192 in Kissimmee, Florida. How many of you have driven on Highway 182? Well, what we typically notice when we drive on Highway 182, in addition to all the traffic, what we typically notice are the gift shops, the restaurants, the big signs, the tourist attractions. But what many people don't see because of all those other things is the poverty that exists on that stretch of land. There was a movie that came out back in 2017, five years ago. Actually, 2017 would have been six years ago now, right? Uh, this movie came out in 2017 called The Florida Project. Anybody ever heard of The Florida Project? Well, the plot of the movie is fictional, but the movie does document the real struggles of the people who live in the motels on Highway 182 in Kissimmee, Florida. Many of these persons cannot afford an apartment. Do you know what the average rent is right now for an apartment in Kissimmee, Florida? I looked it up yesterday. About $1,800. $1,800 a month. It's hard to afford that when you're making minimum wage, which currently in Florida is $11 an hour. Plus, to get an apartment, what do you need? Well, you need one month's rent. You need a security deposit. Typically, the security deposit is at least one month's rent, maybe one and a half months' rent, maybe two months' rent. That's a few thousand dollars. It's hard to save up that kind of money when you're barely making ends meet. You're living paycheck to paycheck. A lot of these folks can't necessarily afford a vehicle, a car. So what do they do? Well, they walk to work. Maybe they work nearby at a restaurant or a hotel or something like that. Or they take the bus. And then for those, of these, for those persons who have children, well, they can't afford childcare because childcare is expensive. Childcare is normally a few hundred dollars a month. So what happens to the kids when the parents are working? Well, the kids are forced to look after themselves, entertain themselves. Uh, take a look at this clip from the Florida Project to get an idea of what I'm talking about. Don't you think we're going too far? No, just come on, don't be a, don't be a loser. Don't call me that, but okay. And this is where we get free ice cream. Really? Yeah. Yeah, follow me. Could we have okay. some money? Do we have enough? I'm counting. Excuse me. Wait. Excuse me, miss. Could you give us some change, please? We need yes. to buy ice cream. Because we don't have any money. We just have five cents. Yeah, we just have five cents. And the doctor said we have asthma and we got to eat ice cream yeah. right away. Like, yeah, my doctor ice cream. Guys, we're not lying. It's fine. Thank you very much. Here you go. 
Let's go. Oh, come on. Woo! Excuse me. Excuse me. Hello. <laughs> oh. That comment I made earlier about listening to our doctor takes on new meaning now. <laughs> now listen, if you do want to watch this movie, I got to give you a heads up. Uh, the language and the subject matter is pretty intense, and so I do not recommend watching this movie with children. But the reason I bring it up is because this movie does highlight the struggles of everyday people who live right here in Central Florida, in our backyard. If we were to say, God helps those who help themselves, to folks living in these motels, well, we'd be, we'd be ignoring how entrapped a lot of them are. Now, of course, we do what we can as a church, don't we? This is a very generous congregation. But our resources here are limited. They're finite. We can only do so much. And so what we also do here is we partner with other organizations in the Orlando area, such as Family Promise. How many of you are familiar with Family Promise or the Sharing Center or Orlando Union Rescue Mission? These are wonderful organizations. Uh, and that, and I know many of you support them and you're involved in them. And why do we do all this? We do all this because we recognize the biblical mandate. Notice I didn't say the biblical suggestion or, oh, the biblical, it would be nice if you would do this, the biblical mandate to care for the poor and needy. Do you know that the Bible mentions caring for the poor and needy at least 2,000 times? There are 2,000 verses in the Bible that directly address caring for the poor and needy. Oh, my goodness. Do you think that this is important to God? Of course it is. In fact, Scripture says that how we treat the poor, how we interact with the poor, is directly tied to our faith in Christ. James says this in uh, his letter. This is from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, what good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. According to James, we live out, we express, we embody our faith when we meet the needs of all God's people. Not just their spiritual needs, as important as those are, but their physical needs too. Because we are embodied creatures, aren't we? We are uh, incarnate creatures. Food, shelter, clothing. In Matthew and in Mark, Jesus has this famous line. He says, the poor will always be with you. The poor will always be with you. Now, for a long time, I read that, and I thought, okay, Jesus is saying that there's always going to be poor people. Any age you live in, there's always going to be poor people. I don't think he meant that. I think what Jesus meant was the poor will always be at the center of the church's ministry and what the church does in this world. So the cliche, God helps those who help themselves, overlooks biblical teaching about God's concern for the poor and needy. But this cliche also misses another aspect of biblical teaching. This cliche causes us to overlook our own need for God's grace. C.S. Lewis, many of you recognize that name. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis was one of the premier lay theologians of the last century, authored a number of books. He was a professor at Oxford University. Well, on one occasion, C.S. Lewis showed up late to a gathering of religious scholars in London. He walked inside, and he found them caught up in this lively debate. And so he asked them, what's all the hubbub about? What are you all discussing? And somebody said, well, we're debating what makes Christianity stand out from all the religions in the world. What makes Christianity unique from all the religions in the world? C.S. Lewis said, oh, that's what you're talking about? Come on, that's easy. Everybody quieted down. That was a presumptuous thing to say. They had been debating this topic for hours and hours. So this gentleman sarcastically said, all right, Mr. Lewis, enlighten us. What makes Christianity unique from all the religions of the world? Lewis said the answer simply is grace. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. They thought about it, and they all agreed. After all, concepts like incarnation, resurrection, these concepts, or at least variations of these concepts, are found in other religions, but not grace. The Christian story, folks, is not about how we human beings were basically good people. But then we made a few mistakes, we had some lapses of judgment, and then through our own efforts, we turned back to God. We made our way back to God. No! The Christian story is about how we human beings, we were utterly lost and helpless. We could not fix ourselves. We could not redeem ourselves. We could just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get back to God. God came. God descended. God got down to our level. God offered us the grace that we needed in Jesus Christ. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 5. Paul says, when we human beings were somewhat helpless, that's not what he says. Oh, when we human beings were pretty helpless, no. When we human beings were what? Utterly helpless, completely helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. doesn't say died for us good people, died for us sinners. Now, most people will not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still what? Not while we were perfect, not while we had our act together, not while we were a little bit messy, but mostly presentable, but while we were still sinners, why we were still in rebellion against God, why we were still in defiance against God, God came and died for us in Jesus. In the United Methodist Church, I hear a baby right now among us, and I love this because, you know, in the United Methodist Church, we baptize babies. Some churches don't baptize babies. We do as United Methodists. We don't dedicate them. We baptize them. Part of the reason we baptize the baby, well, number one, we recognize that God's prevenient grace is already at work in this child's life in some mysterious way, that God is moving, God is, God is wooing this child uh, into relationship with himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But another reason we baptize babies is when we baptize a baby, we are reminded of how all of us are when it comes to God. Folks, think about a baby. A baby cannot do anything for herself, can she? A baby cannot clean herself. A baby cannot change herself. If we were to leave a baby by herself and just walk away, what would happen? Eventually, that child would die. As horrific as that even is to imagine. But the same is true of us spiritually. The same is true of us spiritually. If God had left us to our own devices, if God had left us unto ourselves, we would have perished in our sin. That's not what happened. Instead, God came. And in Jesus Christ, God gave us grace. As the Apostle John says so powerfully in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 16, from his abundance, we have all received grace upon grace. Don't you love that? Grace upon grace. This grace is for everybody. It doesn't exclude, doesn't discriminate. All God asks that we do is that we open up our hearts and we receive it, inviting Jesus to come in to be the Lord and the Savior that we all need. Going back to the cliche, God helps those who help themselves. This cliche does have a nugget of truth in the sense that we're called to pray and work, but this cliche also misses scriptural truth in that it causes us to forget God's concern for the poor and needy, and it causes us to overlook our own need for God's grace. Grace is what the Christian faith is built on. Grace is what our own lives are built on. And it's within God's nature to give grace. Praise be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we gather in these moments, we are reminded of our need. Not simply our desire or our want, but our need for your grace, for your salvation, for your redemption. Thank you, God, that you give that so freely to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to show grace to others, especially to those who are struggling. Help us in those moments to be what you intend for us to be. And God, help us also as we pray and work, as we put forth effort, as we do the things that you want us to do in this world so that we might live the abundant lives that you have for us. God, we love you. We praise you. We're so grateful for the love that you show us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.